happened to the NFL? Welcome to the NFL, Rookie. Hello and welcome to another episode of everyone's favorite show, The Rookie Rundown, here on the DWZ Network. As always, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dallas and I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Salad Galore. That is Dallas spelled backwards. S-A-L-L-A-D Galore. Um, guys, we're post-Senior Bowl and we are in the thick of the rookie mess now. Basically, all that's left is the combine and the draft, and a lot's going to be hitting very rapidly over the next month and a half until we are officially going to see where all these rookies end up on their teams. And because of that, over the next couple weeks, I'm going to be talking about some of the players that are not being talked about as much as they should be. Um, I've split this up into a couple of different groups specifically, but I'm going to be going over the quarterback, the running back, the wide receiver, and the tight end that are the least talked about out of the Power 5 conferences today. So for those, I'm going to have four players, going to go over a little bit about their profiles, a little bit about my takes on them, where I see them going specifically scheme-wise, what I think they're going to be at the next level, and then just talk to you why they're under appreciated currently. Um, so without further ado, let's try and make this one a little bit of a quick hitter for all of you on this lovely Monday as you're listening to this podcast, but we'll dive right into, again, the least talked about Power 5 conference players. And to lead the group off is going to be Mr. Matt Corral out of Old Miss. He's the guy really not being talked about at the quarter posi- quarterback position right now in this NFL draft class. Um, There's a lot of talk about how much people like Kenny Pickett, how much people like Malik Willis. Um, For me, I like Desmond Ritter quite a bit, but Matt Corral is still at the top of my quarterback list. And a large reason as to why he's not being talked about as much as he should be currently is the fact that he got injured late, but he got injured before he could really show and nationally showcase his talents to the non- fan of SEC football is how I would describe it. Bowl game season is typically where we see players that we're not accustomed to seeing on a weekly basis. We don't have to go searching for the games in order to find these high-octane matchups. We just have them laid out in front of us. So as a casual viewer to a lot of fantasy players, you may be seeing Matt Corral for the first time playing, but unfortunately you didn't get to see him in that Baylor Bowl game. He got injured very early on after just four pass attempts. And because of it, he has missed a couple of outings and a couple of capable showings to, you know, see media members, see scouts, see different people in this draft process to keep that hype train moving. Um, There's a lot of concerns. A lot of people wanted to see him in another big game matchup just based off of uh, his kind of up and down career at Ole Miss. But overall, when you look at it as a prospect, he's six foot one. 205 pounds. That's decently small. That's about what you're getting with a guy like Baker Mayfield, about what you're getting um, even taller than a guy like Kyler Murray, just from the weight standpoint. Um, It's actually, fun fact, not that far off from a guy like Lamar Jackson, what he plays at. Um, So it's one of those thinner frames. You can tell he's thinner when you're looking at him on the field, and he does look a little bit shorter, but it's been proven time and time again with quite a few of these players that the height measurements aren't as big of a deal as the physical size and weight measurements. As long as you are built and thick and you can take the hits on a regular basis, which Matt Corral has shown he can do outside of this one recency bias-related injury that a lot of people are latching onto, 
it's the main issue. Um, this injury made him fall to the wayside in this QB class for a lot of people. And all the buzz, as I said, are on those other two top guys that a lot of people debate, basically, between Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. Um, I still strongly believe that Matt Corral has the highest ceiling out of those based off of where he's currently at in his career. Um He's an athletic wizard. He It's a wizardry a la a guy like Johnny Football, where he just is, he's got that Russell Wilson, that Johnny Football ability to just get out of the pocket when he shouldn't be able to and escape. And it's something that's extremely alluring. And when he does escape, he's got the athleticism and the wheels to make big runs and big plays. Um, he's very, very tough and physical. He's not afraid to take those hits, which is kind of what you want to work out of a quarterback on a regular basis. But his arm strength is up there with everyone at the top of this class. He wouldn't be on the same level as a guy like Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes, any of those true gunslingers. But he has an above average arm. His deep ball is very, very nice. And his intermediate accuracy is pretty amazing so I looked at all of these players just to give you the heads up I looked at the two-year averages of the last two years as my benchmark just to see what happens because at the end of the day I don't really care what happened in people's rookie years or their freshman years in college because they should have matriculated that knowledge or explosiveness from the first season and turned it into a more fine-tuned product of the last two to three years that you see out of these guys so typically when I'm looking at my rookie prospects I have a tendency only to look at the last two years I will take some big games and stuff like that into account when I'm looking at the overall draft profile but for me I want to see the production sustained in later years in their career as opposed to popping off the scene in that breakout age that everyone loves to talk about and then just dwindling as time goes on that's not as sexy as a prospect for me and that's how you end up missing on guys like Brian Edwards because you like that early breakout age when in all reality he didn't really put up any wild stats over the last couple of years of his career at South Carolina. But again, going back to Matt Corral, in his last two years, he's averaged 3,300 yards passing with 24 to 8 touchdown to interception ratio, and he's just a hair under 70% completion over the last two years. He's at 69.3% completion on those two years, um, primarily injury-free outside of that bowl game injury. And then what's really alluring with a guy like Matt Corral, as I said, was the rushing upside. He has put up 560 yards average over the last two years with seven more scores on the ground. So you're seeing a rushing production of an additional 56 points from your quarterback as well as another seven touchdowns so he's averaging over 30 touchdowns a year with right around the equivalent of 4,400 passing yards if you equate the passing to rushing yard statistic conversion with almost 70% completion and only eight turnovers per year that's pretty dang good guys um when I'm looking at him, the size is the only concern with his play style. I do think you need to, again, it's one of those fine lines that you walk when you're dealing with athletic quarterbacks is trying to walk back some of that athleticism and keep them in the pocket to avoid taking hits. Um, I don't think you need to do that. I think he could realistically do what Russell Wilson does on a very regular basis. This year was the first time Russell Wilson missed any games due to injuries, and that was because of a helmet hit, not even because he was tackled improperly. Um, he's very good at getting down, and I think that 
that's something that Matt Corral just needs to do a little bit better. Just go down a few yards shy, take away that 15-yard gain, and just be content with that 11- and 12-yard gain for the chain movers. I think that's the best bet for him. Um, all these prospects I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about their best game on tape that I've looked at and their worst game on tape that I've looked at. And leading off this group is a fun one because Matt Corral, for that sake, is the same game. His game against LSU in 2020 has everything he encapsulates as a player. Um, he's refined his game quite a bit over the last year where he doesn't make as many boneheaded mistakes as he typically used to, but very early on in his career and even last year, he had a tendency to try and force the ball quite a bit. He does have the arm strength, but it's one of those things where you'll have years that we've seen it with Patrick Mahomes where he'll be very lucky. The ball always bounces his way and he doesn't have that many interceptions on those tight window throws. And then you'll have years like this last year where He's not as lucky. The ball doesn't bounce his way, and those do go in the other players' hands. That's pretty much what you saw in that LSU game. It was always a 50-50 on those tight window throws that you would see. You saw the deep ball, which was amazing. You saw the rushing capability at over 150 yards. But the guy threw five interceptions in that LSU game. So you saw the athleticism. You saw the raw talent, but you wanted to see a refinement in his career. He has refined it. He had a couple of good showings this last year, specifically against Tennessee. If you're looking for just a good game, with not a lot of mistakes. There was one turnover in that game from him, but it actually was the receiver's fault, not his fault. That's probably the best one in 2021 to encapsulate what type of prospect you're getting now. Um, but just to see his highs and lows as a player, I think that LSU game in 2020 is perfect for you to look at. When I'm looking at a guy like Matt Corral, he reminds me a lot of Marcus Mariota coming out, but he doesn't have the hesitancy to throw deep, which is what truly hampered and stopped Mariota from becoming a consistent player in the NFL albeit he never really had true weapons. I could go on my little love for Marcus Mariota on an entire podcast later on if you guys want to hear it, but I see a decent starting and starter career in his near future, and most likely he's going to have a production similar stat-wise kind of to what we've seen from Baker Mayfield over his first couple of years, but I think the rushing floor is going to be higher and more like what we see with Daniel Jones, where every couple of games you're going to get one of those plays out of a guy like Matt Corral, where you're like, man, he's got some wheels. Man, he should run more. There should be more design plays. And hopefully, we're going to see that from a guy like Daniel Jones under Brian Dable in this new offense that's coming in. But that's what I realistically see with Matt Corral coming out. I just don't think he makes the boneheaded mistakes that you get from a guy like Daniel Jones. So I think he's got the mentality and the actual finesse that Baker Mayfield has on a regular basis, but some of the raw athletic traits that Baker doesn't have, he's going to be zapping from the guy Daniel Jones. So my comp, as I said, is like a Mariota with more of an arm and more of a uh, gunslinger mentality going forward. The next player that I want to dive into is Mr. Jerion Ely. It's actually Matt Corral's teammate at Ole Miss. Ely is a smaller back. He's Coming in most likely around that 5'9 range, 195 to 200 pounds, somewhere in that range. And he was a dual sport athlete. He played collegiately for two, uh, sorry, three straight years at Ole Miss, both in baseball and in football. And he actually turned down a draft position from the MLB as a true freshman, as opposed to going into the MLB straight out of high school. He decided to continue his collegiate career, get his degree in Ole Miss and play the two sports that he loves. Um, he was a split backfield basically his entire career at Ole Miss. 
due to his size, I think more than anything, but his late declare and that split backfield. Um, he was one of the latest players. Basically, he went all the way down to the deadline to actually declare whether or not he was going to go into the 2022 draft, have allowed him to fly under the radar for most of the NFL analysts that we're talking about. And I don't know why, because his explosiveness and his gangbuster change of direction that he shows in his game are elite. They are his, his change of direction, guys, is on par of what we would see sometimes with a guy like Shady McCoy. Um, he's got track speed for days to boot, too, and his vision is above average. His willingness as a pass catcher, uh, pass catcher and a pass protector is both above average. He just doesn't have the physical girth, and he doesn't quite hit as much as a smaller guy like a Kyron Williams does, which is one of the big things that you'll see with him as a running back. Um, he steadily has averaged roughly about a 125 carries a year at six yards per carry, but he has never cracked 150 carries once in his three-year career at Ole Miss. So that concern really, you know, extrapolated into the receiving stats like we talked about. He was able to alleviate a lot of these concerns in his 2021 season as he showed his pass protection ability to take an up pick. He was much better in third down pass protection, and he actually saw over 80% of the third down snaps at the running back position, and he was able to double his receiving production and his receiving yards in 2021 that he had in the previous two years combined. Um, his best game was against Texas A&M in 2021. Um, he showcased pretty much everything you wanted to see from the past game standpoint, and he got a true workload against an SEC defense and a true fire big-name competition. And that's what you wanted to see. He dominated on the ground and through the air and looked electric in 2021. He took over all the shares when his backfield mate got injured, and he showed that he could handle that 24. He has saw 24 carries that game and 14 receptions. The dude was all over the place. The worst game that he's had in the last two years was against LSU. Um, had his worst yards per carry out of any of his games in his career on that one with 10 plus carries. He also just didn't look very explosive for some reason. LSU's defense was hampered last year too. So when he was going up against an SEC team that was basically limping through the season, he wasn't able to truly take away that lead role last year, which is why there was a lot of concern about him as a prospect going into this year. But he's looked quite a bit better in 2021 as opposed to 2020. Um, when I'm looking at a guy like Jerion Ely, though, my comparison for him is... I, I see a lot of shades of Jamal Charles in him. His explosive ability is elite, but he needs to fall into the right situation to be anything more than a true, like a Naheen Hines, because we've seen these guys with these athletic profiles coming into the league and then just kind of falling to the wayside. You'll see the occasional explosive play from him here and there, but they never get relied on. But if he finds himself in a true pass heavy scheme with a quarterback that doesn't have a lot of mobility I could see a realistic James White type career as a true PPR monster coming out of a guy like Jerion Ely and he's proven that he can average a hefty 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 yards per carry on the ground as a true rusher if you want to rely on him I just think that unless he comes in at over 200 pounds which is very unlikely at his pro day and the combine. You're not going to see him get drafted super, super high in the first round. I still think he's going to be a day two back, and I don't think anyone's going to truly rely on him as an all three down back 
encompassing all of his skill sets. So again, be warned, he could have a career similar to Naheem Hines. You could have the occasional pop season, but you could also get a very, very reliable player and a guy like Jerion Ely, where we saw James White dominate in the PPR sector for year and year out because of the scheme that he was in with Tom Brady. Going on to the wide receiver position, we are looking at Mr. Justin Ross. He is the forgotten man in this giant wide receiver group. Mr. Justin Ross comes in at six foot three inches and 205 pounds. He is a big, thick guy. When you look at him athletically, he doesn't look like he's a wiry guy for being a little bit undersized for his height. He looks like he's well built. Looking at his two-year average, though, he has only averaged over his last two years of production, which would be 2019 and 2021, about 56 receptions per season, under 700 yards, right at that 690-yard mark, and six touchdowns per season. He missed all of 2020, and he's only played 10 games since the beginning of the 2020 season. Um, again, he has had an injury-plagued career and just abysmal QB play in 2021 at Clemson. Has taken a lot of the shine off of what is arguably one of the biggest athletic outliers in the draft class from a pure draft profile standpoint. He's a highlight reel monster that can be used on the inside and on the outside, who uses his physicality and his speed to truly dominate the competition at the SEC level. He looked like he was about to break college football into pieces coming out of his freshman year. But again, like I said, I don't like to rely on that freshman year production, that early year production. I want to see it continue over a prospect's career at their school, and we just never saw that with Justin Ross. Some of the best game tape you'll see from a wide receiver prospect, but again, that hasn't really flashed over the last couple of years. His hands, his physicality, and his run after catch are his strong suits, so a lot of times you'll see him in those early games that he had in his career and the occasional pop game over his latter career this year where he looks a lot like a guy like Debo Samuel. When he's in the open field, he is breaking tackles, he is elusive, people can't touch him. And they're using him in a very creative screen game aspect in that Clemson offense. But he does lack the true top end speed and the route running can be kind of lazy at times for a guy like Justin Ross. So that's why I'm not as high on him as I may have been if he had stayed healthy and truly been able to work on his craft over the last couple of years. When I'm looking at him, the best game that I've studied over the last two years was actually against Syracuse this last year. Um, in 2021, he has a couple of his circus catches. Specifically, there's one right right shy of the end zone that he didn't quite get in for a touchdown. That shows you exactly what type of player he can be if you use him as a big slot, which realistically is where I see him going at the next level. <clears throat> Talking about games that I'm not using in my analysis for him, if you want to see probably the best two-game stretch out of any wide receiver that I can recall ever, it's most likely going to be Justin Ross in his 2018 title run with Clemson against Alabama and Notre Dame back-to-back in the postseason his rookie year he went for 12 receptions in that two-game span for 301 yards and three touchdowns his worst game was against Georgia this last year in 2021 Um, he looked slow he couldn't beat guys on the outside and pretty much only thing he caught was a slant over the middle but that slant that he has is elite. He's able to frame out because of how big he is, how quick twitchy he is, and using him as a big slot really, I think, is going to be extremely advantageous for him. He reminds me a lot of Michael Thomas when he was coming out of Ohio. I'm not talking about the Michael Thomas that we saw in his prime, or even the Michael Thomas that we've seen injured in the last couple of years. 
He's not going to be a huge name in this draft cycle, but he has the potential to surprise a lot of people coming in. Realistically, he could be Slant Boy 2.0, but you could see those highlight real circus catches on a regular basis with him, which makes me think exactly of Michael Thomas as a draft comp for him. The last player that I'm looking into the comparison for and that I think is being under-talked about is another guy who is high on a lot of people's draft boards, but no one's really talking about him or talking about why they like him. And that's Jalen Weidemeyer out of Texas A&M. Jalen Weidemeyer is 6'5 and 255 pounds, and he's really the only big-name tight end that's an underclassman in this year's draft cycle. Um, so he declared early, wasn't a senior, so that meant he wasn't in senior bowl practices. He wasn't in the senior bowl game. And he's going under the radar a lot when you're looking at prospects like that. Um, so a lot of the stat chasers won't love him as a prospect. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you're fine. Uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of stat chasers won't love him as a prospect, but he has the knack for always being open and always catching the ball when targeted. Um, he's extremely physical and he's extremely sure-handed as a tight end. Plus, his route running is great at finding the pockets in the zone. That cliche phrase that everyone loves to hear. I know um, he doesn't have the top end speed to actually blow people away. So you're not getting a guy quite like Evan Ingram, who is who I kind of talked about in the prior couple of pods when I kind of touched on Jalen Weidemeyer, but you are going to get a guy who is an athletic freak when it comes to his physical size metric wise. His wingspan is going to be the largest out of any of the tight ends. Arguably, it's on par with a guy that we came to love the last draft cycle, two of them. Um, when you're talking about a guy like Kyle Pitts or a guy like Devonta Smith, it's where his wingspan doesn't really match his body. It's just huge. He's allowed to make those circus catches, a la a guy that I just talked about, like Justin Ross. He's going to be huge. Like I said, he's 6'5", 250 pounds, makes those circus catches, and he's very athletic. He's a very, very, very good and willing blocker, but the blocking is a concern on some aspects. He's willing, he likes to do it, but he lacks that know-how is how I would like to phrase it. I'm not claiming to be a blocking expert, but a lot of times on tape when you see him, um, circling specifically in the like Dynasty Nerds, Nerd Herd film room or in all 22 films, when they circle him and he messes up a block, it's because he doesn't have leverage. He's very upright when he's blocking, so it's more of a technique thing than anything, as far as I understand it. Um, so a lot of times you'll see his assignment basically just blow past him on the outside or bull rush him, and that size and basically weight that should be a great advantage to a chipping tight end on the outside is something that just gets blown through and made to look silly. Um, I think his athleticism and his actual move tight end ability <clears throat> make him a great prospect in general, and I think he's going to succeed in that role because I don't think you're going to be using him as a true blocker on a regular basis, but don't expect him to be on the same level as a guy like George Kittle, like Gronkowski, like Kelsey as a blocker. You would expect him to be an average to an average slash subpar blocker that is being tossed around all the time. Um, I do think he has enough chops to be a guy where when he's on the field, you don't immediately assume that they're throwing to him or don't immediately assume that he's going out on a route. He can hold his own, as I said, in the blocking game, but he's a guy who's going to be used more in the pass game as that move piece, that Y halfback <clears throat> type of move tight end. 
when looking at his best game, um, his Arkansas game in 2020 was electric. He, you saw some of the best receiving stats that you'll see from him. There are two highlight reel catches, one for a touchdown that you'll see in that game. And you see a lot of the bursts that he has specifically as a strider. If you're using him on a seam and he catches up to the linebacker that's covering him in the center on that seam route at any point, he's going to blow past them. He's a strider. He's got the long speed because he's so tall. And so it's like that Julio Jones where you don't realize how fast the guy is until he's past you. Um, That's what you see a lot of times in that Arkansas tape. On the other side of the coin, the worst game tape that you'll see out of him as a prospect is this last year against Alabama. Um, Texas A&M should have been competing more in that game than they were, and a lot of it was because of the mishaps that Jalen Weidemeyer had as a blocker. Um, They couldn't get pretty much anything going with the run game, so that left my guy Isaiah Spiller, who's one of my top running backs, looking less than stellar in that game as well. Um, He dropped a couple of passes in that one as well, so that's one of the only times that you'll see him drop passes in that Alabama game. But you'll just see some of the concerns overall at his use of his functional strength as opposed to just being a guy that looks like a Greek god, huge dude that's going to bully you at the tight end position. So I'm looking at a comparison for a guy like Jalen Weidemeyer. He reminds me a lot of a guy like Jared Cook. So I think he could have a very long, successful fantasy career as a move tight end. I think he needs to refine a little bit, so there may be a little bit of a waiting window. I wouldn't anticipate him to blow up the scene in year one unless he finds a system that basically funnels him the ball like a West Coast scheme at the tight end position a la Kansas City, a la anyone in that uh, Andy Reid and or Shanahan tree. But when I'm looking at him, I think he could have a long, successful career. Jared Cook was an above-slash-elite athlete, which is what you see from a physical makeup with a guy like Jalen Weidemeyer. He never had that top-end speed of some of the other guys, but he became an excellent blocker. He never took any really bad hits, and he was a monster in the red zone, which is exactly what you're getting in Jalen Weidemeyer, who over the last two years has averaged right around that 42 reception range over 500 yards receiving, and five touchdowns each of the last two years. So that's basically it, guys. Quick breakdown on what I think to be the four least talked about players at their given position from the Power 5 conferences. Um, it'll be Matt Corral, Jerion Ely, Justin Ross, Jalen Wademeyer. Um, specifically on Jerion Ely and Justin Ross, those are players that you're going to be able to get at extreme discounts going into this draft season and in your draft. So you should be looking out for them. Um, Go and look more tape. I can't stress enough that you guys should be looking at more tape. If you want advice on where I find some of my game clips, the games where I'm looking at or what I'm seeing while I'm looking at the games, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm always open to share what I'm looking at when I'm looking at players and why I feel the way I do about them. And I'm a big big proponent of showing examples as to what I'm talking about. So if you want to see examples of any of the traits that I'm talking about, I will let you know exactly where you can find them in the games. You just have to reach out. Um, again, you can find me on Twitter at Salad Galore or in the Patreon group me for the DWZ network. If you're not a part of the Patreon, you should be. It's where all the fun drafting is about to start popping off with all of our fun leagues, all of our rookie content, and all of our fun guests that are about to appear both on the normal DWZ, the DWZ Smackdown, as well as the Rookie Rundown. As always, guys, I'm Dallas, your host, and until next week, have a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, Also, we'll talk about the Super Bowl real quick before I fully uh, sign off. Um, Go Rams. We're hoping the Rams beat the Bengals. One, because I'm still bitter about the Chiefs. And two, because I have a bet on the Rams. If they win, I make of the moolah. Bye.
When we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing. game yesterday and if we win one today that's two in a row we win one tomorrow that's called a winning streak